-hmm. as she slides down the pole into the underground bunker, the PKE meter is topping out. That only happens when there's a spirit in the room. Ooh. Welcome back to Get to the Good Part. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we've not put together an episode that we probably should have done a lot sooner than now, but I think it required a certain period of thinking and reflection and and also just kind of consuming what everyone else has to say about it. And that is Ghostbusters Afterlife, the trailer that has just recently come out. And by recently, I mean like weeks ago. We're obviously coming in late on this. Uh, it's, it's kind of... Kind of yeah, a month about ago. About a month ago. And and to kind of not just to recap, because you know, every place that's viewed it pretty much comes back and, and kind of gives their their pitch on it. And we might do a little bit of that, but we're not gonna recap the entire trailer. This isn't gonna be a first time watch sort of situation. Because we're beyond that. And I've already seen this trailer like easily two dozen times. I I was just gonna say two dozen times at least. I've I think I Watched it at least three or four times, just getting ready to talk about it right so, now. That said, how did you feel when you saw the trailer? Ah, uh, man, I was so excited leading up to it, and then the trailer really just made me feel even more excited for the release of this film. It gave me tons of confidence in the eventual product, uh, the actual movie that will come out in summer 2020. And there were parts that just gave me chills, goosebumps, whatever you want to call it. And even today, you know, over a month since the trailer first was dropped, it still gives me those kind of chills. When like I, I am so looking forward to this movie. Yes. And, and I agree with all of that. Every time I watch it, if, if I was to watch it now, I would still get goosebumps. I'd still get chills. And that's and yeah. that is the cool part about this movie is that I'm not a huge fan of the second one. I loved the first one. So I'm not I'm not just diehard everything in Ghostbusters, right? Uh, the, the first movie had a sort of edge. It was this line that was walked. It was about a group of people who are way out of their element trying to deal with a, a wholly overwhelming and uncontrollable or unfamiliar situation and them doing it wholeheartedly and with a certain degree of sort of self-humor and levity. And, and I say that like reflecting on it now. As a kid going and seeing this at like 10 years old, I wasn't thinking that, but I do remember watching this and, and just enjoying it. And I'm not even sure I could define why. But it was this concept that it was just kind of having it was it had ghosts, it had the paranormal, so the paranormal kind of has this sort of, or at least used to, have a sort of weird, unknown, occultish edge to it that that kind of was both frightening and fascinating at the same time. And then on top of that, you just had this group of guys that delivered humor, this sort of deadpan that again, as a kid, I didn't even recognize. I didn't even know these guys, really, from many movies before. Uh, people who are older than myself would have known them from Saturday Night Live, would have known more of their comic genius beforehand. I'm, I was coming in on this pretty new to all of these characters, all of these actors. So seeing this now, mm -hmm. it creates a physical, like, 
body response. You know, it does walk that edge and it does have that same sort of, of, you know, a group of people, in this case, kids that are thrown potentially walking on the edge or entering into a situation that they do not expect, that they're going to be expected now to sort of shoulder the responsibility of dealing with it. And uh, one might say they're walking into a mine shaft. A dark one at that. <laughs> Precisely. And that they just. It, it's it's for me that raises the chills. That kind of brings it back. It it kind of harkens back to the same kind of graphics, that same uh, discovery or feeling of discovery, uh, and yet still the fact that there almost feels like there's danger involved, and and that there's some degree of mortality. And I think it's it's generally like a cheap ploy to throw kids into a situation like that because it, that automatically presumes. Potential, a higher potential for mortality, a higher chance they're going to get their asses killed, right? You, you immediately sure. feel like it's not like the MCU where almost every superhero seems unkillable, right? They can do nearly any. After a while, you don't believe they're killable. You believe that anything that they face, any challenge they run into, they're going to get through. Uh, but that's, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm like you, man. I, I felt um, absolute chills just watching this. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, you were just talking about what it was like as a, you know, when the movie came out and how you connected with it. I mean, I remember being able to recite this movie line by line as a kid because this was one of those movies that I watched on VHS that was just in the rotation constantly because it was just, it was such a good film and it just kind of spoke to who I was at that age and, you know, I probably didn't understand a lot of what was going on at that moment you know, in the movie. But, you know, you look back on it and you realize that it's it's a different type of humor than your typical comedy. It's not like it's, I mean, I guess you could call it like punchline humor. It was more like, I, I mean, I can't even describe the type of humor it is. And part of it was just the incredible ability of the actors involved and the way that they delivered their lines and just situational humor. It was just, it, it was a great movie. And I agree, the second film was not quite up to that same level. But it, it did at least continue the franchise a little bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I could, you could forget that movie. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to the way Jason Reitman has reinterpreted the story. You know, I I think probably one of the biggest criticisms I've heard of the trailer is that it, it has a bit of a darkness to it that the original films didn't have, and the fact that it is so heavily children-oriented. To me, that speaks to the era in which the film is made. Right. I don't see that as a bad thing. I just see it. I just see it as indicative of when it was being made. Yeah, I I don't have a problem with the kids at angle, and and the reason why is because if you're going to hand off this franchise to the next generation, uh, you have to tell it in a story uh, that's compelling. And there are probably a lot of different ways you could tell this, but but the idea that a group of kids have never heard of this, that we are thirty years down the road. Oh my god. 30 years. That this is legend. Like this, there's a level of meta. Like even in the, in the trailer, it's very clear that, that the kids aren't even aware that this occurred. It's happened so long ago. But that this is legendary to the adults. Like it's so legendary that the adults in the film, like Paul Rudd, kind of echoes 
the fan base, which is, oh my gosh, that's a great replica. Or like these guys were idols. It was mm. like the walking dead, right? That that these were people, these were like astronauts. These were people that, that young people at the time wanted to be like. And as adults that they've grown past that, they still have a sort of a, a, a fan base behind it. So there's this echoing, and at least in Paul Rudd's character, of kind of like that fan base relationship. And and then introducing that to the next generation. Like my son hadn't watched Ghostbusters until I pulled his butt onto the couch and said, Oh my God, have you how have you gotten this long in this house without seeing Ghostbusters? It sounds like bad parenting. It sounds like bad parenting. <laughs> it only sounds like it. But to have to introduce the kids now also introduces an audience that that's kind of playing along like you're you're it's as if you go and you take a friend to a movie and you've seen the movie your friend hasn't and now you get to kind of enjoy the movie through this person who hasn't seen it so it, it's it's like that with your kids and in this case it's like that with the kids on the screen they're now entering a world that we've all enjoyed and they're going to explore and that they get to actually pick up the toys and play with it. And they get to discover sort of the fascination and the fear um, and the history behind this. And I'm probably blowing this way out of proportion, but that's at least on the surface what it feels like when I looked at the trailer. And I was like, OK, I'm on board. I totally get the audiences, the multiple angles that they're trying to include on this train ride. And, and the appeal that's going to have. I don't think this is a kid's movie, but I think the idea of handing it off to the next generation and having a, a reason to sell the storyline as a, as a means of truly introducing this to the next generation, it would have to be kids because anyone older would have known about these events. It, it, exactly. I think just by way of the plot and the story, it absolutely has to be kids, and that, and I think we're gonna sit in the theater when it's all over, and when the when the credits start rolling, and you're gonna realize it makes perfect sense that it's kids, and all the all the doubters and haters on the whole it being a kids movie or a rehash of Stranger Things. First of all, Stranger Things is yeah. great, so it's going. I think it's gonna be a fantastic film. I'm hopefully not going to start elevating it to a point where it's not going to be able to meet those expectations, but I have extremely high confidence in it being at least in a, a very good film, and I'm hoping it's going to be exceptional. Yeah, and that's a good point about, about the whole Stranger Things thing. So, so we've got to keep in mind is that Stranger Things is portrayed in the 80s. And as a result, when we watch that show, what we're really watching is maybe what some of us were like when we were kids in the 80s. Now, maybe not everybody connects to that, but that's how I connect to it, because that was me in the 80s. That was me dressing up as Ghostbusters for Halloween. And the movie itself seems to borrow a lot of those sort of tense to the point of being comical, but then going back to tense elements from movies like Ghostbusters. So it's... Inaccurate, I think, to say that this trailer reflects Stranger Things when I believe the reality is more like that it's actually copying the styles of Ghostbusters and maybe a couple other sort of edgy horror or sci-fi films of the time. I see that. Yeah, no, that might, that makes a lot of sense. And I think, honestly, the, that criticism of it being like Stranger Things is probably 99% rooted in the fact that one of the lead characters in that TV show is in Ghostbusters yeah. Afterlife. Yeah. 
And I imagine that if it wasn't, the, if that wasn't the case, maybe that criticism wouldn't. But be you there. can't say that necessarily that the show follows the character into the movie. You couldn't say that about it. And the and the kid that we're talking about was in it. You don't go and look at it and go, oh yeah. my god, that's just Stranger Things. No, you don't. So the kid has got nothing to do with it. What we're really talking about is the stylization of Stranger Things being set in the 80s and good a part of it echoing Ghostbusters and other movies like it. Sure. Needless to say, that's a small trigger for me. Is when people say, oh, it's just Stranger Things. It's like, well, then you don't know where Stranger Things mm. is coming from. You're just, you're just not thinking far enough back. Yeah. Frankly, Stranger Things is pretty much copying about 100,000 other things from yeah. that era. So let's just put that one to bed. Totally. <laughs> okay. Let's change gears here because sure. there's a lot of things that I've seen. I've seen nearly every review of the Ghostbusters trailers, even even the negative ones. Okay. Uh, but, but there's something that I've not really seen uh, or not really heard. And there's been a lot of, uh, you know, pointing out of the different elements and the different Easter eggs within the trailer. And normally that's what we would zero in on, right? The little, the little tidbits. But there's something that I don't feel is being really addressed here. It's the invisible elephant in the room. Sure. Let's talk about it. And that is the fact that, that Egon is dead. Now, we know that's the case. Yep. They don't shy away from that in the trailer. No, I was going to say, yeah, I, I see where you're, you're going with this. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this. We, we know he's dead. We know that, that the, the trailer sets up the premise that uh, the kids and the mom, that, that Egon is the grandfather of one of the kids, right? Or the, both of the kids, but I'm not sure from what side of the family per se. So we don't know if it's because the, the dad was, you know, the father was... The son of Egon. Uh, because obviously he's not really present, and that might also be a good reason for why the kids knew nothing about their grandfather. It, but but we know he's dead. We know that he's the grandfather. There's really no question. We're not hinting at that. And in fact, in the most... Yeah, I just want to pause here. So you don't believe that the theories that it could be the grandkids of Ray Stance? No. 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 Yeah, I don't. I don't believe that either. Because like the, that's all trying to extrapolate from that line in the movie where he t he puts the third mortgage on the house that he was born in, and I I don't buy it. There's too much other evidence in the trailer that is clearly pointing in the direction of it being Egon's family. I, I know what you're talking about. I've heard this, but just because he talked about refinancing a home in one movie for all of like two minutes. And then 30 years later, we've got a movie that happens to have a house in it. Yeah, I know. It's, it's <laughs> such a stretch. I mean, that's, it might be the kind of shit that I would come up with, but hearing it from the outside, total stretch. Uh, I just don't buy yeah, it. Yeah, the, ve the Vegas odds are very much against it. Well, and it. there's so much that, that kind of points to the opposite. Like, if there was anything more than that. Oh, yeah. But the fact that you've got, like, an underground bunker with spores, molds, and fungus light out on a table. The fact that, you sure. know, she pulls the jumpsuit out and it has Spangler as the as the name tag. Now, there are four yeah. jumpsuits, but the guys didn't have just one jumpsuit. So, it wouldn't be surprising if there were four or five Spangler yeah. jumpsuits, you know, in a lineup there in the closet. Yeah. And she's uh, um, the granddaughter. She's carrying a PKE meter, which was classic Egon, right? Right. right. And... And the other thing that, you know, I was kind of looking at today was she's wearing what looks an awful lot 
like Egon's glasses. It does. She got the curly hair, the glasses. Oh, and and she just fucking looks like she's a direct descendant of Egon. Actually, Spangler. both the kids do. I think. I think the way that they styled their hair, yeah. the way that they kind of look, uh, they did a really good job of making it look like like you would believe that these are his grandkids. Absolutely. So to me, it's it's not even a question. It's definitely Egon's family. Yeah. So with that in mind, what I want to do is I want to put out there some speculations. Let's do it. And the first is that I don't think they're going to eliminate Egon Spangler from this movie. This is my personal theory, is that he's a ghost, that he knew he was going to die, he knew what was coming, and he knew he had to find a way to stop it, and probably also knew that the only way to do that would be to bring his family back to discover what he'd left behind them with the hopes that they would discover their heritage and then prepare themselves to deal with what was coming. And in such, Egon is haunting his own home and helping his kids find these things. Here is my thinking on this. Here is the reason why. First off, in one of the scenes in the trailer, we see a stack of books. Books, the stack of books, yeah. The stack of books in the living room. That could very well be him practicing manipulating the physical environment. He knew it was possible. He knew that it had happened before, that other spirits could do it. That could have been him practicing before they came to that house. Here's another thing. When she's going out to the backyard with the, the PKE meter, mm-hmm. as she slides down the pole into the underground bunker, the PKE meter is topping out. That only happens when there's a spirit in the room. Ooh. That somehow she was following the cookie trail of the PKE meter down to this man cave, if you will, Egon cave, if you will, <laughs> to discover all of this stuff. N- now, granted, nerd you want it to be the nerd layer, Egon layer, right? The Buster's <laughs> layer. But the PKE meter is just going off the chart. It's as if it's kind of trailed her to it. Like that's the only way you would discover it. Because otherwise, when he died, he wouldn't know necessarily that somebody would, whether or not they would just find all that stuff. He wouldn't want anyone else to find that stuff. He would want it to be very specifically his family. And it may be what led his granddaughter to discovering the shifting tiles, to finding the trap, or to however she discovers the PKE meter. And then to that, him, I can imagine him sort of moving out in front of her using the PKE meter, not seeing him, but sort of following his trail down into that layer so that she could see everything else and kind of discover this heritage. So I do believe while he is gone, he is acting in the movie as a means of of moving them in a place where where they're going to have to deal with what's coming, which is the return of Gozer. I think it'd be interesting if they do bring back Egon as a specter of some sort. It, I think that's certainly a very plausible uh, plot device. Mm-hmm. I, w- I would say maybe he doesn't, like, maybe he didn't plan it, if, mm-hmm. if that were the direction the movie goes, but maybe it was an accident. Sure. Like, I, could see, I could see maybe, like, there's a, you know, like, the father is not around, right? So mm-hmm. we know we know that the father's been gone for a while. But Egon as the grandfather, if he disappeared, right? Mm-hmm. And then the father of these kids also disappeared, that that's like a 
yeah, uh, chip off the old block kind of thing. Like, the, like if that were the case, that I could see them pointing out that, like, oh, well, he disappeared just like his father did. Sure. And and then it turns out that it wasn't that Egon disappeared. It's that, like, in some weird accident of some sort, he became a ghost and he's stuck in this thing. That's that's a great thought. And and just to continue on that thought, uh, and, and I could be wrong here, but if I remember rightly, the, the point was that you were not to look in the trap. Because what would happen when you threw the trap oh, yeah. out there and you opened it? If you looked into it, what would happen? Uh, your eyes would get sucked in? I don't know. I would, like, my understanding was that it would take your soul. Like it could literally, if you if you looked at it, it would pull the spirit out of your body. So then that's interesting given the fact that Egon did look in the trap in the first movie. Yeah, yeah, he did. But, but, he did. That's true. When they're in the hotel, I looked in the know, trap. Ray, Ray says, "Don't look in the trap." Like, yeah, I looked in the trap, Ray. Right, right. So, uh, it, I don't know how that would necessarily tie in, uh, and it might be as much as you'd mentioned, like kind of like an accident occurred. Uh, could be that you know his soul was pulled out of his body in an untimely situation, and that maybe it's in a trap and the trap opens. You'll notice when the trap is brought to the teacher, there is a scene where he opens it and starts to glow green, which kind of indicates that there's something in there, potentially. And oh, then you think? Shuts, and then it's just maybe. I thought so. I mean, it had that green glow, and wherever you kind of have that that spooky, you know, uranium-ish green glow, you have ghosts. Maybe. I think that's very likely that it has something in there, and maybe it is the, the the ghost of Egon or something like that. Who knows? But I can't wait to find out. Uh, my hope is that they don't go full-on Star Wars. And what I mean by full-on Star Wars is whenever, whenever a Jedi dies and he evaporates into the ether of the Force, they bring them back. <laughs> they show them as ghosts, as specters. We can't. We got to kill them because the shock and awe, but we're not going to totally kill them. We're going to bring them back as ghosts, right? Because they're just, you know, we love these characters. We can't just not have them in the movie. Uh, but so I hope they don't go there with Egon. I hope what it is, is that it's revealed in some way or suspected in some way that Egon's watching on them. That by he, inference. By inference, right. That by spooky coincidences, if you will, that he was kind of guiding them and then an invisible world just beyond what they can see, and that he is kind of setting up the environment both for them to discover and to succeed in the battle that's coming. And at the end of it, he's not a specter. He doesn't you know, show up. He's not grinning from the clouds above. There's just the satisfaction in knowing that he's been in the background, that he was there, still loving them, still a part of their life, still being a Ghostbuster, uh, and he, that he was working it from the other side. That would be that'd be great. I get chills just thinking about that. Oh yeah. Uh, I think the other point was that I, I think it's interesting. I, th- I don't. It, all the videos now actually hit on the stuff that I missed originally, which is the fact that the mines that are mentioned, the name of the mine, all kind of harkens back to uh, you know the architect of the building, uh, the Shandor, the stone that was mined to make the the temple at the top, uh, and the, yeah. basically the summoning of Gozer, and that maybe that's what we're looking at. Because like there are like some like beams or something in the building that were like selenium. I think. Right. And maybe this mine was a selenium mine. It, well, yeah. Which would be interesting. I think that would be really cool. And I think that's also another point, a point of evidence in the fact that it is Egon's family because he was the one who was clearly more learned in that aspect of the, uh, the haunting of New York in the original film. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say that I kind of really would love to see, although I think the chances of it are very, very, very low, 
is a Rick Moranis cameo. Not happening. I know it's not happening, but I can still hope and dream. Yeah, me too. And there was a recent interview with him asking if uh, he would, if if he was going to be in it, if he would consider doing it. And uh, in fact, he was asked to do a cameo in the 2016 movie, and he turned that down. He said, "Why would I want to come back and do something that I've already done, and then come back to film it for like five minutes?" Why, why would I even – evidently his response says, I don't want to do something I've already done. I would rather do something new. And that's if he would do anything at all. So it would be kind of cool if we could see him in this again. And I'm really kind of curious as to how we're going to squeeze everyone else into this. How are they – how are the original characters going to be called back or hearkened back to this? How are they going to be pulled from whatever life they've got now? To this podunk farm in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Is it, is it going to be, I need your help, do it, do it for Egon? I, I have a feeling that however they come back, it's going to be in the last act of the film. Yeah. Yeah. If not the stinger. I think the kids are going to realize they're over their heads and that they will have to, you know, go through the old records, find the old phone numbers, hit the telephone, and uh, see if they couldn't get them. And that because whatever you troubles- call, right? Who are you going to call? And, and maybe that's kind of the, the hook in there, right? Who, who could they call in this I, situation? I imagine the original actors coming in because news footage starts coming in from this ridiculous little town in the middle of nowhere, and they immediately recognize the car, the proton packs, and they're like, I know that stuff. Or something like that. And then they just kind of show up. I, I could see that. Maybe they're drawn to it like Field of Dreams. Field of Dreams. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I could see that as being a, you know, they start to, to see wind of it in and, and their various places. Kind of like getting the band back together after a bad breakup. Yeah. You know, everybody's kind of willing to put it aside and kind of come back to what they once knew. And then, you know, strap it on and work together one more time. Yeah, and and that I presume that the, this is not their retirement, you know, location. So they're going to have to come from a, a pretty long distance to make it there. Right, which which speaks to some of the characters, uh, the core Ghostbusters here. But I kind of wonder how the how the other characters play out. Like, how's Janine going to be reincorporated into this movie? I don't know, and I think those are interesting questions, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they do it. Who knows? Yeah, so I'm ex- I'm excited to see how that how that expresses it, how, how the, the story kind of reintroduces or pulls those characters back to that place. It's, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. Yeah, me neither. So for, you know, for all the love of the trailer, uh, that's kind of where my head's at. Those are, those are kind of where my hopes are. And I'm super happy that, that the trailer feels like the first movie felt. I think, I think it carries a lot of the same feeling. Let's just cross our fingers and, and hope, and I think that this will probably be the first movie since Ready Player One that I was there for opening day. I would tend to agree. Actually, it's probably going to be the yeah. first movie I saw in a theater since Ready Player One. <laughs> there have been some good ones. Have you seen Cats? No. I've seen it twice. Well, shame what's on you. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with me? You're asking what's wrong with me. All right, let's wrap it up. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> All right, so that's been our recap of Ghostbusters. This is Chris. And this is Aaron. And we'll catch you on the next episode. See ya. Later.